Welcome to Casual Talk Radio Podcast found at casualtalkradio.net. My name is Leister, I'm your host. Thank you for dialing in today, whether you're an existing subscriber or a new listener. We welcome everybody. Got a couple things to get out of the way first, and then we're going to get right into our topic for today. Casualtalkradio.net. That's our website. Check it out for all of our different podcast episodes, past and present. We're constantly making updates. We're refining the website experience. If you have any feedback, we'd appreciate hearing it. You can hit the contact link at the top, fill out the form, come straight to us. You can also leave us a voice message if you want to leave your thoughts on audio, and it may be played on the air. Who knows? Let's go ahead and get into our topic for today. All right, now I get to see how my new microphone sounds on Casual Talk Radio, found here at casualtalkradio.net. My name is Leister. I'm your host. Welcome back or welcome if you're new. As I said, I got a new microphone, so hopefully it sounds better than the last one. I think it does, but then something dastardly not good happened with my voice. Not my voice, but I have a, I think it's just, I think it's seasonal. I think it's allergies. What happens is every now and then I'll get, mucus that gets either trapped or there's more of it than I expect. And so that's hard to do vocals. I was actually, for those that don't know, and I'll, I'll share this in confidence, but I'll, I'll share it for those that don't know. Part of what keeps my voice in, in check is I do singing outside of the podcast and I'll sing various songs. And I've, I actually, there was a point in my life where I, I was able to do damn near perfect falsetto. I can't now, I can still do it, but nowhere near what I used to do. So I'm not going to list songs. No, I refuse to do this. I'll give you one, Suavecito by Malo. I can do Suavecito near perfectly, note for note. So I use that to kind of warm up the voice, keep the voice on on deck. And then there's certain like lozenges and things that I'll do to keep the keep moisturized levels up. But this one, when the mucus collects, it's hard to hit certain notes. It's hard to say certain things. And Seems like it's died down, but I don't know if you can tell my voice has changed, even though it's a different microphone, that's going to make a change, but my voice has notably changed. So I'm struggling with it and I'll apologize if you hear longer than expected pauses, it's because I'm having to either clear or do something else. I'll try to minimize as much as I can. Anyway, let's talk about today. I wanted to share a story because there may be people who listen to the show that fit within the age range for which this is applicable. Today, we met, we might, meaning my first endeavor, we met with an intern that's working with the client, just started a reasonably young gal, and she graduated just, I think she's actually still in college, but she graduated high school very recently, in college now, and she's in business school. And she expressed an interest in talking to some of the technical people because she thinks that she might be interested in working in IT. And I I got to be honest, I cringe anytime I hear anybody say they're interested in working IT, not because it's bad or it's not lucrative or there's a problem. But I think if I, if I think back to when I first got into IT, it was a long time ago, very long time ago. Some people listening might not even been born when I got into IT and I got into IT by accident. Here's the full story. I've told this on a past episode, but I'll share it again because we got some new listeners. So I've been dealing with technology in some shape, form, or fashion since I was like five or six years old. This is back at a time when internet was not really a thing and computers were only used to do like word processing, basic word documents or works documents. But I was always messing with computers, always had an aptitude for it. 
all the way through, you know, elementary school, we had computers, mostly for gaming, Oregon Trail, shout out to that one. Junior high school, I wrote my first program in basic on Apple computers there. All the way up, and I've always had this aptitude, when web TV, which nobody knows what that is now, but web TV was a thing way back in like the 90s. And the way it worked was you had a set top box and you connected it to dial up internet. And it allowed you to connect to basic browsing. So you had a browser window, but you also could do chat online, IRC chat. You could shop online. You could check your email all in this one box. So you didn't need a computer. It came with a wireless keyboard and the whole nine. But it was dial-up internet, so it was dog slow. Well, the thing is, it was actually fun to be on this business. I made quite a few friends uh, on this, this journey on the IRC chats. So one cool feature about it was that it supported basic web de development technologies, HTML, JavaScript. And so the cool thing to do was to build your own front end, your own wrapper for the IRC clients. And things we would do with just HTML and JavaScript, we're not talking advanced level programming. We could do like music players, so we would have our own tracks and you could play your own music and do all these things. And so you built your own interface and whoever had the coolest interface, you got people to use your interface in the chats and that's how you became known is because, oh, wow, this person has the coolest interface possible. And there's a lot of them. Mine is still actually out there in archive.org. So I had some development experience from that. When I went into the workplace, I did some development there, web, mostly web pieces. So I always had an aptitude for it. I didn't officially get in until much later. I had gone to customer service and did kind of routine jobs. Later got kind of drafted into it because my boss at the time was really frustrated was it, stuff wasn't getting done. She asked me to do it because she knew I was going to step up and do it. So I cracked something together, crash coursed on how to write VB.net, which is a programming language, built my first front end for contract management straight from raw code. It was actually, it worked, but it certainly was not the best I could have done. But at the time, given I'd never done something like that before, I was reasonably impressed with what I ended up with. Fast forward a little bit more. I start going into this technology a little bit more and I get exposed to different companies across the nation, different vertical markets like insurance and finance and credit and all these things. And I learned the other side of it. I learned the business side of things and I learned valuable lessons. Number one, IT is probably the grimiest, shadiest, dirtiest, slimiest, most inefficient of all processes I've ever been exposed to. It's not to say that people should not work in IT. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that one thing I wish I had known going into it is to be prepared for how shady and slimy the business model is. The idea that IT is essentially against the people that work inside of it. They don't really want people working in IT. What they want are robots. What they want are slaves. What they want are people who are just going to shut up and do what they're told. That's what IT really wants you to do. It circles it. If anybody's listening to the show, that works in IT and wants to disagree with me, I encourage you to hit me up at casualtalkradio.net in the contact form and tell me why I'm wrong. I think you're going to know that I'm telling the truth, especially if you dig in under the hood to what I'm saying. Let's look at projects. Projects are the big thing in IT. In a project, what are you essentially doing? Somebody in management has made a decision to do something. There's money involved. There's time involved. There's people that have to be involved. Somebody in management assigned a task list to this person called a project manager whose sole purpose in life is to basically order you around. Let's be honest here. So then the project starts, they kick off usually, 
and they'll discuss what they need to do. Now, instead of what they should do, which is to talk to the expert about the best way to achieve the outcome, you're then delegated off to somebody else, usually a business analyst, who's creating a list of tasks. They're creating your marching orders. You're expected to just do what they're saying, even if it's stupid, wrong, inefficient, expensive. You're expected to just do it. If you push back, sometimes they'll listen, sometimes they won't. Even if they do listen to you, they'll still question you, they'll still argue it. What ends up then happening is that the business analyst slash the customer will ask for something that doesn't really meet their needs. And you know it, but you're just doing what you're told because you want the check and it's over, over six figures or whatever. There's a flip side to IT though. There are the people who support previously built applications and solutions. These people get saddled with poorly built solutions and it causes an overhead on them. This then spawned the rise of what's called on-call rotation. And on-call rotation originated in the medical industry. It's this idea that people have to be quote on-call. Now in the pager era, this wasn't that big of a deal. We just send a page to your pager, your pager beeps, you check your pager, it has a phone number, says call back, effectively call back, or if it's a two-way, it has a quick message blurb that you can respond to. When cell phones became a thing, on-call took a different shape. On-call all of a sudden became, you need to give your personal cell phone number or we will issue a work cell phone number so that we can call you at any hour of the day. This normally wouldn't be so bad if you were paid for that time. The rise, though, in the FLSA world, what happened is the rise of salaried employees became a thing where the companies knew that they could exploit you and not have to pay any extra money because it's a two-way street. Under FLSA, a salaried employee is, you're, when you apply for a job, there's a rate that you're paid, an annual rate. Say it's $120,000. That $120,000, the rule says, it was, here's the origin of it. It came because companies said, effectively, we don't have a way to effectively track hours for IT workers. It's a variable. They might need to work 40 hours, 80 hours, 70. It's too hard to track time. Anybody who works in IT will laugh at me saying this because they'll know every last one of them have been required to fill in a timesheet about the work that they do. And in many cases, they're required to make sure that timesheet equals 40 hours. Do you know why? Because the company is trying to justify the amount of money that you pay. So they can track the time. The reason that they wanted to do salary is because they don't have to pay you more than the rate that was agreed. The hourly allowed you, if you're on the blue collar side, allowed you to get what? Overtime. Overtime meant that they kept you for an extra four hours or seven hours or 10 hours. You were paid time and a half usually. For holidays, you're paid more. For days when it's closed, which you're forced to work, you're paid more. In salary, you don't get any of this. That was the whole scam. So then when they realized, oh, geez, we can basically just burn these people out all we care to, they force you to an on-call rotation, which essentially means you're working 24 hours because you have to be available 24 hours. They don't have to pay you. Even if you don't work, they still don't have to pay you, but you have to be available. You have to be woken up in the middle of the night. You might have kids. You might have somebody who's sick that you're taking care of. And most importantly, critically so, you should be getting your eight hours of sleep and you cannot trust that you will because of this on-call rotation. What was the root of the on-call rotation? The root of the on-call rotation is poorly built solutions. Poorly built solutions originated from stupid requirements, essentially. They don't want to fix that. They don't want to fix the reason that you're forced to be on call to make stronger solutions that don't require to be on call. And they don't want to do multiple shifts. Some larger organizations, they'll have like a data center operations staff or somebody else 
who are purposely on shift in the after hours. So they'll have people on deck that work eight hours. It's just they work off and you as the developer are not required to do on-call, but that's rare. It's the rare exception because they assume you as the developer have the best knowledge in said subject or the support staff is best equipped to handle the customer's inquiries. So once I saw and I learned, okay, you guys are ripping people off here because I used to work blue collar and I thought it was fantastic to be able to get the overtime, et cetera. And I see that with this business, you're just cheating people. It was not appealing. And I had to push and push and push until I was able to make enough money per year to offset what was happening and then push back on on on-call rotation. It didn't really work because a lot of these companies will still force a thing. So I decided to go on my own. I decided to make my own business and go into contracting and consulting because I felt I needed greater control. See, as a consultant, it's an hourly rate, not an annual rate, and I'm exempt completely from any sort of regulations imposed by the company. I charge what I charge. In fact, I made a lot of money in the month of June because they needed me for some go-lives, and I spent a lot of hours, and I need to be paid for those hours. We're talking to the tune of five figures within a month span. It's a lot of money. So that was appealing to me. I don't mind working extra time, but I want to be paid for every single hour that I work. So consulting, contracting worked better for me personally. It doesn't work for every single person. But what it did for me is it gave me freedom from the essentially slave labor that is IT and the way that they treat it. And I can't think of any company that does it any differently. They all seem to do it the same way. I've then, as I fast forward, I've mentored a number of interns, so people that have been out of high school and going into college or they're in college or something else and they're not really sure what they want to do. And they're either required to do an internship or they choose to do it because they want to earn some money on the side or they do it to learn a different craft or just trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. There was a gentleman, I met him back in 2013, I believe it was. I'm pretty sure his name was Adam. This guy, he was brilliant. He was really brilliant. They had him, I'm not, I'm serious when I say this. They had him working things like spreadsheets and and binders and just low-level administrative, nothing work that nobody really wanted to do. But he was excited to do it. He excelled at what he did and crashed it. And he was in IT largely because he thought he might have an interest in doing it because, again, he was a really brilliant guy. I learned later, he went on to a financial services company. He was then their vice president of finance at this company. And it was not even any anywhere in his career path to be this. He just was good with numbers and felt this was going to be a better use of him and a good, strong you know, outlet for what he could bring to the table. And I was proud to see he turned something so benign into an opportunity that was so good. And that's rare. So now the where I'm going with this story Today, we met with a different intern with my client, and we were asked to kind of just give an overview of what we do and, you know, our journey and everything else. And I made sure to share my full story as much as I could, you know, that I started in, although I did start with technology on hand as in I knew about it and I was kind of playing with it, it was never something I wanted to do for a career. I ended up doing customer service, which I really enjoyed call center customer service because I enjoyed helping people out. I didn't even get a chance to share every single iota of story because it's too long. But, you know, I've been a business analyst. I've been a project manager. I've been a developer of different levels. I've been an auditor. I've been anything you can think of. I've probably been it that's not a, you know, in the blue collar for sure. And then when I went into IT, finally, primarily I was on the business process improvement side. And I was telling this this, uh, intern, 
you know, for me, I wanted to make sure she heard if I had to do it over again or if I could do something better. For me, if I could have done something better, I should have taken the time to sit down and, as I used to describe it, stare at a white wall and decide what I really wanted to do. I don't believe I took enough time and energy to decide what I really wanted to do. As a result, I was willing to do any and everything. I was willing to be anything for anybody. I was willing to learn anything it took. There's pros and cons to this. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with getting better and learning more. But I do believe that that lack of singular focus held me back a little bit from where I could have been, say, 10 years ago if I'd had it. Now, to be fair, in high school, you've got the whole counselor's situation, right? And they'll tell you, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And they're asking all these questions, and then you're, you're slapped into all these pointless classes ostensibly to expose you to a little bit of everything, right? You do wood shop and metal shop and auto and all this. I think you're too young at that time to appreciate the value of what they're trying to do. I think it's premature. In college, there's a little bit of the counseling, but nowhere near the hands-on that you get in high school where you're kind of required to meet with them on a regular basis. So I'm saying that high school, I think, had the right idea, but it's premature. You're too young. You can't know. You can't appreciate it. And most importantly, high school does not include the types of classes necessary to make an informed decision in the right direction. You don't really get that exposure even in college to some degree. College, unfortunately, depends on your major and your minor. Some kids coming out of high school don't know what to do as a major or the minor, so what do they do? They do a liberal arts degree, general studies, et cetera, and that doesn't really behoove you in the workplace because the employers are looking for a specific focus that is aligned to the job that they're looking for. So now it's a trap because if you go into general studies, and there's nothing wrong with general studies, but if you go that route, the employers are going to bias against you. They're going to discriminate against you. If you go to computer science simply because it pays well, that's fine, but it may not be what you want to do, may not be of any interest to you at all. I can tell you straight up, I can't stand math for nothing. I can do it, but I don't like doing it. Computer science is going to require that you do it. So if you don't like math and you go to computer science for that check, you better force yourself to like math or decide on a different career path. There's business and business school is actually very good, especially now that we're going into an era that's more about business as opposed to building but the business, the, the drawback on the business side is that the business side is still beholden to certain things like ESG and other principles that are not necessarily compatible with what business should be. By which I mean, in a perfectly working society, business should be about capitalism. Business should be about what it takes to benefit society in some tangible way. Business should be some way talking about profit and how that profit benefits the workers because the workers pay the taxes who help sustain the society. In a perfect world, the business school would tell you about doing what you need to do to run your business your way, not worrying about what other people have to say about it on the back end and just focus and keep the, keep that mind on track. I don't think that it does a good enough job of this in my personal opinion. And I think what happens when students go to these types of classes, business classes, they're then inundated with the, the social aspects. And certainly there is some element of value in the social aspects in terms of, you know, are you contributing to environmental uh, wealth? Are you contributing to an emotional society? Are you doing things that are detrimental to things? These are questions you should ask as a business owner. I don't believe they should be the focus. I believe the focus should always be how are you and your people 
contributing back to society in a meaningful way from a financial aspect. And I think we've lost sight of this. This particular intern is going to business school. And so what I made sure to call out is no matter what you choose to do, if I were to do it again, if I were to have another chance to think something differently, I would have stopped to understand what one thing do I want to do? Literally take the time and research it and try to figure it out and just stick with it. Even if I'm learning multiple things, I think there's value in having singular focus that I lacked and knowing that that focus may very well contradict what you currently are going to do. Because again, I didn't go to college fresh out of high school for familial reasons. I went to college much later, mostly as a formality to check the box because I already had significant work experience. And the work experience has enriched me very well and I'm very proud of what I've been able to accomplish without having to go to college first. But not everybody has, is that fortunate. Not everybody has the, that opportunity, frankly, the mentor, somebody that can take you under the wing and guide you at least to the right directions, plural, where you can make a choice of which way you want to go from there. But if you do have it, if you do have people who can do that for you, and I want to stress this, when I say people that can, I also mean people that will. Because sometimes you have people you believe are mentors or eligible to be mentors, and they're just as slimy as the rest of them. They're out for themselves. I've been in that situation multiple times, all the way up to city councilmen. So it's not, it's, I don't say this to freak anybody out. I'm saying that you do have to be studious about who you choose as a mentor and make sure they're not doing it just for themselves. It has to benefit you. And it also has to align with your values and your principles and what you want out of yourself and make sure in the religion of self, which is your focus on yourself and what you want to do, you may not know it yet, but you should always keep your eyes on getting to that answer. Whatever your answer is, when you get there, make sure that you pay it forward. At some point, you'll be presented with an opportunity to mentor somebody else who's not sure about what they want to do. Take your own lessons learned, both pros and cons, and use that to enrich those people that come after you, because I think that makes you stronger. That soft skill your development of other people, your being able to communicate to other people, your being able to help somebody else get to a level enriches you as well. There's no better feeling than when you can master that art, although difficult, I don't present it as easy. I'm saying that if you want to consider a different approach and a different thought process to how you can get to an outcome versus just following tasks and following what somebody tells you to do, consider whether your career path or your college path or whatever path is really what you want to do. Have you thought about it? Or are you just doing what you were told to do, doing what you were expected to do, or doing what somebody else was doing and you just follow the leader? If you're satisfied with either of those answers, no problem. Long as you took the time to think about it, long as you took the time to process it and agree it's the right answer for you. That's all I'm giving my call to action on is make sure it's what you really want and not what you're expected to do. That's all we've got here today on Casual Talk Radio, Gentleman's World. Hopefully it's been informational, educational, and helpful for you. We upload every Monday and Wednesday, so we'll be back for our next episode. Whether you're a subscriber or not, we appreciate you for dialing in today. We know you've got choices. We will be turning back on our guest cadence. We are doing the screening process that's coming very soon. Keep up to date with what we're doing at casualtalkradio.net. You can also subscribe at the bottom to get alerts whenever there's a new episode posted, or you can add it to your platform of choice. For now, take care and I will see you on our next upload.